morning, I'm Anna. I'm married to Sai, which you've probably worked out. He doesn't tend to travel with random women, <laughs> just his wife. Um, and uh, it's my privilege this morning to be starting off our Christmas season, and you'll never guess that it is Emmanuel. Dan cut that out with a saw by himself. He's like a proper grown-up. And um, he didn't cut his arm off. He's got all of his fingers. It's amazing. It's really clever, isn't he? So um, Emmanuel actually means God with us. And we first see it in Isaiah 7, where Isaiah prophesies this. He says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now we know, because a virgin has had a son and his name is Jesus, that, that's, that Jesus was, is Emmanuel. But can you imagine the people hearing it? They would have thought, what is this going on? Isaiah was a prophet to Israel in around 740 to 710 BC. And so that's about 700 years before Jesus was born. And God was telling his people that one day there would be a sign for them that he would come and he would dwell with his people, and that a virgin would give birth to a child, and that his name would be God with us, Emmanuel. Then we skip forward to Matthew 1, and we read about Jesus his, um, and his birth. We read how Mary was a virgin, and she became with child from the Holy Spirit, and that God appeared to Joseph in a dream and said to him, don't quietly break up with Mary because Joseph was Mary's fiance and obviously was a little bit worried by the fact that Mary was pregnant and not by him. But God appeared to Joseph and said, no, no, she is with child from the Holy Spirit. Stay with her, protect her and look after her. And then most importantly, Matthew adds that Joseph did not know his wife until he was married, after she'd given birth. That's important for us to know, isn't it, because of the nature of a virgin birth, an important fact. And then we read in Matthew 1, 22 to 23, Matthew sums it up like this. He says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And we see again the fulfillment of that prophecy is Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy, God with us. And today we're going to be looking at how the Emmanuel took on flesh and dwelt amongst us here on the earth. So Jesus, fully God and fully man, took on flesh, which means he became a person, he was born from a woman, grew as a fetus in a woman's uterus, and then after about nine months of pregnancy, like every other single human being, he was born. No shortcuts, no floating to earth as a grown man. He wasn't brought down by little cherubim in a nice little blanket and placed there. No, no, it was normal pregnancy, birth. Now, I've been pregnant quite a few times. We have four children, um, and... When I was pregnant with one of my children, I'm going to keep it anonymous for the sake of this child's dignity. Um, <laughs> when I was pregnant with one of my children, one of the older children, who was about three, got absolutely obsessed with pregnancy and birth. It was so embarrassing. He would go up to people and be like, how did your baby come out? 
Did it really hurt? Was it really big? Did, what did they do with you? And so I decided that actually um, I would tell him, uh, them, all the details of the, a pregnancy. Now, you have to understand, I'm a nurse. I do a lot of women's health. So things that other people blush and feel terribly embarrassed about is like my normal every day. I do really weird things in my job. And I talk, have very strange conversations with people. So I'm quite comfortable. So I, um, I thought, I'm going to tell them. So I told them, this is how babies are made in an age-appropriate way. Um, this is how babies grow. And this is how babies are born. And told him the various ways that babies can be born. Well, um, I even actually, I know you're all going to judge me, but judge away. Um, I even showed them, well, all of them actually that were there, an age-appropriate home birthing video because I thought, you know, I should show them what happens. Now, don't get judgy. Don't judge, judge. It's okay. It wasn't really, really graphic. No close-up shots, nothing like that. And, um, and I just thought, you know, in other cultures, you give birth at home, the kids are running around. Most kids have seen a birth by the age of five. Mine hadn't, so I thought they might as well. Um, so we go to the midwife appointment after he's seen this video. And uh, the midwife's doing, you know, the measury thing where they... I never understand that, where they measure... It just confuses me, no end. Because I just think, I mean, you know, by this pregnancy, I'd been pregnant lots of time, and I thought, surely it's just going to measure more because the amount of fat that is now on my body is significantly more than the first one. But she's measuring away, and this child was joining in because the midwife was lovely, and she starts saying to me, so, Anna, let's talk about birthing plans I'm like, well, I want to live, I want the baby to live, everything else, nah, take it or leave it, you know, I'm not bothered, I just want everybody to live, I want to be in a hospital, thank you so much. So do you want to give birth? No, I don't want to give birth, I want to be in a nice, safe hospital. Then suddenly this child stands up on a stool, looks at the midwife and goes, babies are born out of a lady's bits, and it's disgusting, they're covered in blood and gunk, and it's gross, and they're naked, it's awful. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> mm. and, the mid and then said to me, you have thought about clothes, and I don't want to see this baby until it's been cleaned and it has clothes on it. And I was just like, oh, no. Um, I said, oh, yes, he is rather inquisitive, and we just left it at that. The reason I'm telling you a rather random story from our history is because in our heads, we often really tidy up the birth of Jesus. We think of a baby lying in a very clean manger in white, of all colours, white swaddling cloth. The reality is Jesus was born just like most of us were born, and it is messy, it's dirty, there's lots of pain involved, and it would have been a really fearful time for Mary and Joseph. She gave birth in a stable with animals around her, Though it wouldn't have been tidy, and the swaddling cloth most definitely would not have been white by the time Jesus was wrapped in it. Jesus came to earth and was born as a person. He was born out of a woman. He experienced being hungry, being tired. He was breastfed. He was weaned like the rest of us. He was clothed by others. He learned to walk, talk, play, clap, sing, laugh, and smile like all of us. He didn't just arrive completely different from us. He arrived as a proper man here on earth. So today, I really wanted us to explore together the amazing truth that God took on flesh and lived among us. And what does that mean for us? So we're going to um, be mainly in Philippians 2, verses 3 to 11. 
So if you've got your Bibles with you, you want to open it there, if that's all right. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Acts and Romans follow on. 1 and 2 Corinthians, and then Gary eats pie and chips. This is the way to remember it. If you know a Gary, it really, it really you can. If you know a fat Gary, you're really on it. Gary eats pie and chips. So that we're going to look in Philippians. So if you're all there, we'll start. So it says, do, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. How many people are feeling uncomfortable? I am, because this is something we're not very good at as people, isn't it? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now these verses are incredible, aren't they? It's Paul's endorsement and encouragement to us and to the early church that he was writing to that we as Christ followers should aim to imitate Christ, that we should have the same mind as Christ. Basically, we should think and behave like Jesus. Hendrickson, a theologian, I'm pretty sure he's dead now, um, but it was really good. He puts it perfectly and he says that these verses are an invitation to imitate Christ because this is the rule of life. Isn't it amazing even the fact that God gives you an invitation to imitate him? He doesn't force you. He could. He could force you, but he doesn't. He gives us an invitation to imitate Christ because this is the rule of life. So we're going to look at two characteristics that Christ has that we need to try and be like. The first one is humility, which I think we can all agree is a much needed and rarely found characteristic in humans. Interesting family thing, isn't it, that some families are less humble than others. Have you noticed that? Like, size family, well, my parents are here, and my brother, I'm sorry. That size family <laughs> is like super humble people. Even the ones that don't know Jesus are they're just generally humble, nice people. My family, I can't say much, my father's in the room, but you know, <laughs> we're less inclined that way. So, but it's so rare, isn't it, to find really humble people. Uh, Paul is pointing out in these verses that Jesus was the most humble person ever, and he humbled himself to be found in human form. Jesus did not count his existence in a manner equal to God to be clung to, but he emptied himself. Now, it's really important here to emphasize, um, and it's a really, really important thing. If you're a new believer, you really need to focus. I know it's hard to focus all the way through, but this point you need to focus on. 
that Jesus, when he took on flesh, when he came to earth as a human, he never stopped being God. Some cults will teach you at some points he stopped being God. No, he never stopped being God. He did not empty himself of his existence in the form of God because he had to be God in order for his death to conquer death for us. Jesus emptied himself of his existence in a manner equal to God. He humbled himself and gave up all the riches of heaven and became poor for us. So very poor, in fact, that he lived a life of borrowing. He borrowed a place to be born. He borrowed a donkey to ride on. He even borrowed the cloak that went over the donkey to sit on. He became poor for us. And he gave up his heavenly glory. Jesus went from being the object of adoration in heaven with angels and seraphim worshipping him. All that glory he gave up to come here to earth to be born as a baby without people even recognizing that the king of all the world was born as a baby here on earth. He was despised, he was rejected, he was a man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief, we're told in Isaiah 53. It's incredible, isn't it, that God himself would humble himself to be born as a man. When looking at other scriptures, you also read these incredible things. Like in 2 Corinthians 5, we're told that the, the sinless, the spotless righteous one, Jesus, was made to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I mean, it just blows your mind, doesn't it, that Jesus would do that for us. In John 1, we read these verses. It says, and the word, and that's talking about Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And then we skip on a verse to read, for from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. It's amazing, and it should cause us to praise and wonder that Jesus who was with God the Father in the beginning. His word spoke creation into being, present through all the ages, the eternal one, the, the sustainer, the one who gives life, the light of the world. He became flesh and he dwelt among us. He humbled himself and took on all the limitations, the struggles, the weaknesses of a human body, living in the world in a real life born into poverty, not into riches, surrounded by sickness. I mean, sometimes you think, well, why did Jesus not come now when there's health care and antibiotics? He came all that time ago, you know, where sickness was everywhere and nobody could do anything about it. People just got sick and you hope maybe something might work. He, was, he came into a world where there was sin, death, injustice, and he chose to become a servant, to serve people. I mean, it's just incredible. I don't know about you, but I'm pretty fed up of this world. It's, it's so full of endless stories of pain, of suffering, injustice, humans killing each other, hurting each other, the way we treat each other in our relationships with each other. Our family lives are so broken, the sadness, the grief. It wasn't any different back when Jesus was born that God himself would leave the wonder and splendor of heaven and come here on earth 
blows my mind every time I think about it. And Jesus went through all of this to save me and to save you. Jesus, because he was fully God and fully man, was able to pay the price for my wrongdoings, to substitute himself for me, so I could know freedom from sin and death and could have a relationship with the living God. That's the reality that Jesus' humility has brought for us. So let me ask you, what does humility look like for me and you as we try to imitate Jesus? Well, it starts with our thinking, that we think of others as more important than ourselves. It looks like clearing up after other people, even if you didn't make the mess. Mothers, we are there. We are there. The moment your baby was born, you went into that world of clearing up the mess that you did not make. Um, It involves not thinking you or people like you are better than others. There is no room for racism, misogyny, snobbery, or class division in the kingdom of heaven. We live out the truth of Galatians 3, 28 to 29. I'll read it to you. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. That verse is read all the time. But how do we live it out? Well, we live it out by being humble. And we acknowledge that our pride that's inside all of us makes us grasp at being better than, more than, or in power over other peoples. We need to be like Jesus. He didn't grasp at being like God. He gave that up. He humbled himself. He chose to give that up. And we need to be people who know that actually we will not grasp at being better than, more than, or in power over other people. We don't grasp at being better than others. We don't think, well, I deserve it. Do you know, you might. You might deserve it. You might. But we're willing not to have it, and we're willing not to grasp at it. We are willing to serve others in ways that may, from the outside, seem to be below us. It, may, it means saying sorry when you are wrong, one of the most difficult things to do. It means listening to others and treating all people with dignity and respect. If you're a leader in any capacity here, either in the workplace or um, outside, either in the church or outside of the church, It looks like being a servant leader. It looks like laying down your life for other people. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. The one who had the angels and the seraphims worshipping him in the glory of heaven, when he came down to earth, he washed people's feet. Feet are gross. And I'm saying that as a nurse. Feet are disgusting. Parts of our body, I don't know why they're there. They help you balance, but other than that, they're gross. Jesus did that because of his humility. And we need to be people who are willing to love people with that same humility. Secondly, in those verses, we read that Jesus was obedient to the call of God on his life, and he was obedient to glorify God with his life, even to the point of death. I wanted just to read uh, Matthew 26, verse 39. And this is Jesus' prayer 
when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, so he's just about to be arrested, and he knows he is, and to be taken to the cross. This is what Jesus prays. And going a little further, Jesus fell on his face and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The obedience to God at the cost of his own life and the suffering and pain that that would have been for Jesus, the obedience is something we must all learn to live a life of obedience. Jesus is really clear. He said, if you love me, you will do as I say. It doesn't leave much room for us to wriggle out of that. If you love me, you will do as I say. In fact, when we understand what Jesus has done for us and the way that he loves us, the cry of our heart should actually be, I want to obey Jesus. I want to please Jesus with my life. You want to obey the one who's given us life and freedom, forgiveness, joy, peace. You know, um, when we're in Nairobi, it's always so challenging um, to, to us because we spend the time with people who've lost everything to be obedient to Christ. People we know have had their knees broken, they've had their bodies beaten, they've been put into prisons with dead bodies in the dark prison, underground prison with them. They've had their heads beaten open with stones by their own brothers, which is horrific, isn't it, in itself. We have women who've had their children ripped from them and they'll never see them again. We have men who've lost their wives and children to never see them again. We, we um, hear of young, beautiful women who are so beautiful social media people, they get arrested and they purposely beat in their faces so that their face is so distorted. It's awful. They give up their lives, they give up their homes, they give up security, they give up income. And often I say to them, how do you do it? You know, how do you do it to that point? It's so difficult to even comprehend in my head. And their answer is always this, Anna, the time is short. And I think, Yes, but we obey his commands to hurry his return and we take the gospel to people who haven't heard it. That's obedience, isn't it? To grasp what Jesus has said and to do it at the cost of everything that you have. So, but what does it look like here in our context? Well, day to day, it looks like not watching, listening or to or admiring things that are contrary to the ways of God. Not having a potty mouth. A believer should not be known to have a potty mouth. You can hold it in. You can. So do. Um, It means not having sex with people you are not married to. There is only one person you may have sex with. That is your spouse. And in this country, you may only have one. So that limits it to one person. Giving our money until it costs us. Not gossiping at work. Thinking well of other people. Thinking well of other people is difficult, isn't it? Like, to be obedient to Christ, to think well of other people, to assume the best and not the worst. To love the unlovely, to obey your boss at work, even though you know their idea is rubbish. You still do what they say. Not leaving work early and hoping you'll get away with it. Arriving to work on time and recording it properly and not saying things like, I'm so sorry, the traffic was terrible, when it wasn't. Raising our kids to love Jesus. Serving the church, Christ's body is the church, so we serve the church. 
being willing to be the odd one out at school and college and work. You know, more and more as we live lives that are obedient to Jesus, we are going to look really different, particularly our young people. You are going to live a life very different than your peers. It involves not watching porn, dealing gently with your wife, loving your husband or your wife more than you love yourself or any person on earth, telling others about Jesus, praying for the sick, and so on. You can see a life of obedience means we look completely different and we behave completely differently than people who don't know Jesus. Essentially, living a life imitating Christ in humility and obedience will look like being people who will willingly do whatever God asks us to do, whether you feel like it or not, who serve each other and our communities out of love for God and out of obedience to God and his word. It's a really difficult call that God has put on our lives, but we must do it. Now, you might be thinking what I was thinking when I read those verses in Philippians. The problem is, is I'm not God and Jesus is. So how do we do it as just humans, just pure human? How do we do it? Well, let's turn to Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, and we'll read from there. Does it come up? Sorry, I can't. My, I really need to get my eyes tested. Oh, it does come up behind you. That's fine. <laughs> I was like, I cannot see the screen. Dear. Since I've turned 40, everything's just gone wrong. Can't see, can't hear. It's all good. Right. 15 to 16, it says this, Hebrews 4. So I'll just read the bit before, actually. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet is without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. If you, if, you, if you don't know what a high priest is, basically he was like the top best high priest. He was like right at the top. He was the best one. He got picked each year, but that's a whole other sermon. And um, they represented the people to God. He'd offer sacrifices to atone for and to offer repentance of the wrongdoings um, that people do. But being human himself, the high priest would also have to offer sacrifices for his own sins. So basically, the priest acted on behalf of men and women and also himself. Jesus, in this passage, is referred to as our great high priest because he offered the ultimate and complete sacrifice of himself, his life and his blood for our sins, for our wrongdoings. He acted on our behalf, representing us to God, offering himself, and because he is without sin and lived a life that perfectly pleased God, he has become the perfect and final sacrifice for us. Basically, we are able to be in the presence of a holy, perfect, just God through Jesus because he takes our place in the punishment we deserve. He took on flesh, became a person, and bore in his body our punishment. And God has accepted his sacrifice for us. So his death atones for my sin and your sin. 
And that means we can know and love God, and more than that, we can approach the throne of God. We can be in the presence of God and not be struck dead because of our sin. It's amazing, isn't it, that we can come to God because of Jesus. And because of this, we're able to imitate Christ and to live humble and obedient lives because we know that Jesus, the God-man, was tempted in every way just like we are. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. So we can confidently approach Jesus and draw near to his throne and receive the mercy and grace we need as weak humans to live a life that pleases God. We can obey him and do as he asks, pursuing his plans for our life rather than our own. And we don't need to be afraid of approaching the throne of grace and asking for help grace and mercy as we live, because Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to be lonely. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be tired. He knows what it's like to be surrounded by sin. He knows what it's like to be encouraged by others to act inappropriately. I mean, how many times did the disciples tell him to call down fire and burn people up that annoyed them? Lots. And that happened to Jesus, and he knows what that is like. In his mercy, rather than receiving what we deserve, which is we deserve separation from God for all eternity, both in this life and the next, we actually receive eternal life and life in all of its fullness now. A life knowing the unconditional love of God. Jesus, out of his mercy, endured the cross. He cried out to his Father as the world's sin for generations upon generations upon generations was poured upon him. He was forsaken for us so that we receive forgiveness. We also amazingly receive the ability to forgive ourselves and to forgive other people. It's a gift. It's a Christian gift. Forgiveness comes from Christ. You go into non-Christian cultures where there's no influence from Christianity and often there is no forgiveness. There's judgment, there's punishment, there's condemnation. But there isn't forgiveness. It's a Christian concept, forgiveness. If you only remember one thing from today, this is the thing I want you to remember. So whoever's asleep, if they're next to you, just elbow them in the stomach so I can ask them if they remember. The one thing is that we need to humble ourselves and bring all of our weaknesses, all of our failings, all of our fears, all of our doubts, all of the things that keep us awake at night, that make us... that do things that we don't want to do because we're so lost in our humanity, we need to bring them before Jesus' throne and not hide them from him. You know, people say, oh, don't be super spiritual. Actually, the reason that we're not super spiritual is because we approach Jesus who understands our weaknesses. Don't hide them from him. Bring them to him and ask him for the mercy and grace that you need to be able to live a life that pleases Jesus. You are able, because of Jesus, to be in his presence, to receive the Holy Spirit, who, give, who lives inside of us when we know Jesus and we've given our life to him. Instead of condemnation, we receive acceptance. We deserve misery, we receive joy and life. We deserve anger and judgment, but we receive kindness, love and acceptance. We become 
the children of God. We receive sonship. Now, I know you're co- uh, we want to say daughtership, but it's, it's actually sonship. And the reason it's sonship, um, in, in South Sudan and Somalia and Uganda, we never have to explain this, but here we have to. Um, so traditionally, in the UK as well as in other cultures, the first son receives the inheritance. More inheritance than the other sons. The first son is really important. In other cultures, the first son is like the one to be. If you're a daughter, you're stuck in in many cultures. You're not going to inherit anything. You're dependent on your older brother to, or it might even be your younger brother, but the first one to look after you. If you're a woman here, you receive sonship. We receive that we're equal heirs with Christ, which is incredible. The gospel of Jesus breaks through all cultures that we receive, men and women receive, the sonship of God, equal heirs with Christ. We're adopted into God's family, and it doesn't matter how old you are, your race, your sex, when we put our faith in Jesus, we all become sons of God. We receive sonship and inheritance in the kingdom of God. Secondly, to help us to live a life that imitates Christ. I just wanted to draw out one more thing from Philippians 2, that passage. In verse 5, we're told this. Have this mind in Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now, I'll read it again, because this is how some people are reading it, and it's how I read it most days, in fairness. Have this mind in Christ, which can be, maybe, sometimes is, occasionally feels like, it is yours in Christ Jesus. That's not what it says. It has, has this mind in Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what does that mean? It means it is yours. It is your inheritance when you come to know Jesus. To become like Jesus is ours in Christ Jesus. He is transforming us. The enemy will tell you it's for people that are better than you. It's for confident people. It's for the people who stand on the stage at church. It's for that lovely person that always says the right thing. It's for people who aren't insecure. It's for people who understand the Bible better than you. It's for people who don't get anxious. It's definitely not for people who have dark thoughts. It's for people who were brought up in Christian families because they inherit it through their family. It's basically for anyone other than you. That's what the enemy will tell you. But it's a complete lie. It's a total lie. I'm reading this book at the moment, um, Your Thoughts Are Killing You. I'm not going to tell you to read it yet because I haven't finished it, so don't, don't read it. Um, and some of it's interesting. But it's, it's true. Our thoughts as believers are so important. This verse tells us, this have this mind in Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We fight the lies with the truth. The truth is that the one who is exalted above every name, who's the king of kings, the ruler over all authority and powers, the one whom all of heaven and earth will bow to, he has secured it for you. That's the truth. And it doesn't matter whether you think you should have it or not, you do. That's the truth, and we need to be people that live that out, that know it as a truth, that fight those lies with the truth. That this imitating Christ, having this mind of Christ, it is ours in Christ Jesus. It is promised to us. I'm going to get the band to come up. So, 
The challenge to us as people is to choose to live a life of humility and obedience to God, to live to serve God because we follow the example of Jesus, Jesus who humbled himself and took on flesh, becoming a man. Have you ever thought, Jesus, he could have come down to earth and he could have forced everybody to bow before him. One day, everybody will bow before him and they'll have no choice. They'll they'll have to bow before him because they'll see him in all of his glory and they will bow before him. But he didn't. He came and he gives us the choice to choose to bow before him. And even as believers, he doesn't say to you, you will, you will do it, you will. He gives you the choice to live a life that pleases Jesus. I mean, I do also believe that the more you know God, the more you fear him. So you, you do do it sometimes because he says to you, you will do it. And so you do. But actually, God gives us the choice to bow before him, to humble ourselves, to be those people that have that sober assessment of where we are before Jesus and choose to live a life of humility and obedience. Why would we not? He came to earth to save us. He was born as a baby on earth to rescue us and save us. So um, we're, we're going to worship together, but also I just wanted to pray for us. So if you can stand, do you want to stand? Pray together. Lord Jesus, when we really think about the fact that you came to earth as a baby, fully God, fully man, choosing to have the limitations and the struggles of a human body, to live here on this earth amongst all the things that are happening in this world, we are amazed that you would love us that much, that you would choose to die for us, that you would go through that awful, painful death for us, that you would choose to be forsaken so that we can be accepted. We praise you and we thank you so much that you would do that for us. I just pray, Lord Jesus, for people that don't know you, draw them to yourself, show them your deep love for them. Lord, for those of us that know you, Lord Jesus, help us to humble ourselves before your throne of grace, to stand there and to humble ourselves before you, to share with you the things we struggle with, our weaknesses, our failings. Lord, help us to be people that are quick to forgive others and are quick to ask for forgiveness as well. Help us to be people that imitate you and that draw people into your kingdom by the way that we live, that when people see our life, they see a glimpse of who you are and that it would draw people into your kingdom. And we pray this in your name. Amen.